Hey there, you've pressed play on the world's top podcast for track and field coaches. Welcome to the Gill Athletics Track and Field Connections. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics, empowering coaches with innovative equipment since 1918. Head on over to gillathletics.com for all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, and it is my pleasure to bring you another amazing coach and share their journey with you. Our goal is to connect you with the amazing people who have chosen the coaching profession, and today's guest is a powerful example of the impact a coach makes on our world. Let's get to it. The starter has called us to the start line. It's showtime. Welcome to another fun episode of Athletics LLC. As always, we've got three wonderful gentlemen joining us this evening and giving, them, giving us their insights, their thoughts, and sometimes the opinions that we don't care about, but we'll listen anyways. So tonight we'll start off with introducing um, our three guys, as always, Clyde. Going on. Lamar, seven shots to the back must stop. And last but very not least, Lucius. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us as always. How are we all doing tonight? Outstanding. It's been an interesting. <laughs> Indeed it has. Ooh. Yes. Indeed it has. So we'll, uh, we, we'll, we'll take an hour or so to escape reality and just sit in our little four boxes and have a little bit of fun, of a little bit of conversation. So we'll start off tonight, um, think about it for a moment, talking about GOATs. Who do we deem as GOAT assistant coaches at the NCAA level? Uh, I don't need to think about this one for very long. <laughs> but 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 you can't take my guy because I already took him like a month ago. So. I mean, I'm going to take what I'm going to take. If the conversation is GOAT, it wouldn't be the first time we agreed on this show on the well, GOAT conversation. If the Only the second. Is, and, ho and, hopefully, and hopefully it won't be the last. Hopefully. Right. If, if the question is GOAT of assistant coaches at the NCAA level, for me, there's only one answer, and that is most obviously Vincent Anderson. Vince Anderson. B.A., the man, the myth, the legend, former guest of the show. Like, and, and, and let me just say the, the obvious, it, this is obvious for me, but one thing, and, and we've all done superlatives on how amazing Vince is, but the one thing that's, that's always caught my attention about Vince specifically to this question, I've known Vince for a really long time, and he could have been a head coach any damn time he well pleased. He was comfortable in his skin. And just always been an assistant and that kind of focus and being willing to to do that job the way he did it for as long as he did is rare a lot of people get an assistant job just to try to elevate themselves to the next plateau and Vince it you know in my opinion is the epitome of, of who you want as an assistant coach so you know that's my goal it ain't even close 
Um, you know, I, I don't know how anybody disagrees with that, but let me help those because there's going to be somebody who does, who wants to say, uh, you know, the, the difference with, with, with my man, Dr. Anderson, as I call him, is that he's done it on both sides of the coin. Yeah. You know, like, you know, he, he absolutely killed it at Tennessee on the men's side. And then he goes to Texas A&M and he kills it on the women's side there. And while helping with the men a little bit, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, like nobody does it better with class, with, with pride. And like you said, like, I'm sure there were offers to be head coach someplace. It had to be, but like, that wasn't something he wanted to do. He was more concerned with developing great people as well as developing great athletes. So um, that's why he gets my vote. Um, but I, I, you know, if, Lamar doesn't mind. I'm going to throw out a couple of names that maybe we'll kind of start the conversation. Another guy that whose name is, has to pop up in this situation is Dick Bruton. I mean, for what he did at Arkansas, um, with, with the jumps at Arkansas. And then the, the third guy for me is uh, Bruce Shecksnyder, you know, for what he did at LSU. And he also did it on the men's and women's side. I mean, watched him go one, two, three, the triple jump one year. Broke my heart because – Ooh, we thought we had that meat, <laughs> you know, and then he walked over, ah, LSU just went one, two, three. And, you know, he's done it again on both sides and, and, the, and all the events across the board in the field events. And so um, if there's a Mount Rushmore of assistant coaches, those, those are three of my four spots anyway. So. Well, this is, uh, I think we already knew to some degree that uh, the top spot was going to be a kumbaya fest. Um, and, and, and well-deserved, let's just be honest. But I will say, like, I, I gave this some alternate thoughts, and uh, I want to mention someone who was, I'll say, inadvertently, uh, uh, what's, what's the word? I don't think he can be in this category because he has been a head coach, but the reason we know who he is is because of all of his work from when he was an assistant and that's one Mr. Art Venegas. Because when Art Venegas was assistant coach at UCLA, he won national championships for Bobby Kersey, Jeanette Bolden, and Bob Larson. And to you guys' point, he did it in every single event area that he coached on both genders, young ones, fifth-year seniors, you name it. Um, that He was simply put, and I think this is why we feel the way we feel about VA, he was the industry standard for throws coaches and therefore for assistant coaches kind of across the board for the better part of two decades. So I know that he can no longer be in this category because he's become a head coach, but look, let's just be honest. We know, we know who Art Venegas is because of all the work he did as an assistant, honestly, not the work he did as a head coach, no disrespect to him, but, that was kind of a, just a cherry on top. Hey, you've been a great guy for two decades. We'll make, we'll, we'll make you the head coach. But his teeth were completely cut, and his legacy was cemented as assistant coach at, at, and throws coach at UCLA. And, and, and shout out to Art Venegas, because when I was an incoming freshman at UCLA, he is the man that officially signed my paperwork to bring me in as a freshman. That was his first year as as the boss at UCLA. So lots of love for Art Venegas. Great guy. Phenomenal, phenomenal coach. Yeah, he's Art's a great guy. And if you're going to talk about people that obviously can't be part of the conversation anymore because they become head coaches at some point, but people that, you know, cut their teeth as assistants and went on to be great head coaches as well. But, 
you talk about uh, Dennis Shaver. You know, he yeah. obviously he's still killing as a head coach, but as an assistant coach, he, Cheesy was killing it. Carol Smith Gilbert. I mean, you know, when she what she did for at Alabama and Tennessee was phenomenal. And and I and the third one for me is Tanji Buford Bailey. You know, you know the things she did at Illinois and then at Texas as an assistant. You know, I know she was the associate head coach, but still, you know, um, those are three people that I think, you know, did a phenomenal job as well. And and you know what, I, I'll throw somebody else into the mix because of, of of the facts of the business that we currently work in. VA is currently not working in the NCAA, and right now, so if he's not in the game right now, I'm gonna have to say Curtis Taylor up at Oregon. Yeah. Got a lot of weight behind behind a lot all those trophies that's going on at the cathedral. So, you know, shout out to Curtis. He's doing always has been doing a great job. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice little laundry list of names that everybody can go Google for the ones they didn't know <laughs> or not related or then, not knowing. And then get on social media and tell us who we missed and why we should have. You know, right? We, let's, we don't have to clear. Before you move on, let's be clear. We this panel loves assistant coaches so let's just absolutely there we could because we, could we all started hour, that way we could have done an hour on assistant coaches oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like i had to stop myself from taking yes. notes on like okay we're, we're going to be on the yes. show same here a ton of them out there you know but i and i do want i want to give a shout out to this guy because well this is personal he's my son's godfather but he was he's done a phenomenal job as a head coach but he was absolutely a phenomenal assistant coach that was jj clark so Got to give a shout out to that guy. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, this next question is a little wordy, so I'm going to read it <laughs> slower for interpretation um, or absorption. What experience is better when applying to a D1 assistant or head coach position? Being a head coach at a D3, D2, or high school while building that program or simply being an assistant coach at the D1 level? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'll give my answer. I'll give my answer and get out of the way. Um, it starts with this. Mo and I think we've addressed this before. Most hiring processes, unfortunately, are nowhere near as thorough as we would love them to be or, or as they should be. So given that, I will say that being proximal to the job that you're trying to get helps tremendously. So if you are an assistant coach at a school and you get someone to the national meet, there is a great chance that all the head coaches at the national meet will then identify your work with you. And when your resume hits or someone calls for you, that that is gonna help you tremendously. Most division one national, national coaches do not survey what goes on at the D2 level or the D3 level in-depthly. So if you're the head coach of the D2 national champions, for sure, they know who you are. But if you're the head coach of a D2 or D3 program that perennially is very good, but not necessarily loud, it makes it somewhat tougher. They will be impressed by what you've done, but unfortunately, to my, to, to, in my opinion, this is not necessarily how I hired, but I will tell you based on what I've seen in 22 years, being an assistant coach at, a, at, a, at the division one level and getting your kids to the national meet 
honestly, and scoring is probably the best route to move forward in this game. That's very difficult, but that is probably the, the best route. I'm not going to disagree with a word that Lamar said because it's all 100% true. And, and I've, we've all seen this play out in real time in real life. Chu, if you could give me the first part of that question one more time, I, the wording matters to me. What experience is better when applying to a D1 assistant coach or head coach job position? Okay, so there was an or, or head coach job. So because it's an or, I have to answer this two different ways. What I've noticed, uh, aside from the, we all understand it's who you know, not necessarily what you know, as far as advancement in this business. What I've noticed is if you want to be a division one head coach, the, the often the best or fastest track is as Chris said, to, as Lamar said, to be in proximity. And what I mean by that is a lot of this hiring goes on within the same space. So a lot of the SEC head coaches, a lot of the PAC 12 head coaches, come from the assistant pool in those conferences already. Even in the SWAC, if you're in the SWAC and you're an assistant, you're gonna be probably noticed first and foremost when a opening up comes at the head level. So I think if, if your goal is ultimately to become a head coach, I think the best route, as Lamar said, is to be an assistant at the level that you're trying to become a head at, and even closer proximity in the conference, in the region, in the immediate noticing space of the people that, are, that you're trying to garner the attention of. It is absolutely true that at the lower levels, unless you're making a lot of noise, they may know your program's name, they may not know yours. And so I, I think, I, I would imagine that plays out at every level as well. I don't imagine that reality is much different at D2 or D3 as you're trying to climb it's the people that make the most noise in the, in the closest proximity. But um, if the ultimate goal is to, if you're trying to get out, if you're trying to get into being an assistant at the D1 level, I do think being a head coach at a lower level gives you a little bit um, of, of, an, of an advantage because people will understand that not only can you do the X's and O's, but you can clearly handle the work that goes off the track and can manage people and manage a lot more responsibilities. And often when you're trying to break into a higher level as an assistant coach, those are the questions you get thrown. Well, yeah, you, you can make Kid X run faster, but can you handle all this other stuff? And if you have head coaching experience, you clearly can. Yeah, I'm gonna try to attack this from a different angle because I don't wanna sound like we're just regurgitating the same answers over and over. So when you talk about, is it better to be you know, division one, division, division two or division three head coach versus being an assistant. Um, so let's, let's look at it from, if you're trying to be a head coach. Um, so the problem you have with the head coach is you have to impress the AD or ADs and more than likely the ADs don't really, as you know, as my two uh, partners here said, have any clue who you are. And in this world of, uh, glitz and glamour and headlines, the ADs usually want to win the press conference. And it's not likely they're going to win the press conference by saying, I hired Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so from a Division Three institution. Well, they 
reached down into a, a, a group of five school, absolutely it's been done. You've seen that in football and basketball on occasion. And I'm sure you've seen it in track as well. Um, but they're not going to go to Division Two, Division Three. You 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 got a much better shot of impressing an athletics director um, by being, you know, at a autonomy five or a group of five school, killing it to get to the the, the head coaching deal. And from the assistant coaching situation, I think that the problem you have is is that um, is some as I think Lamar said, the, the process isn't always go the way it's usually a hire of convenience um, a lot of people don't want to be thorough and go out and do the work required to get the person that can really do the job and and this is not me but the, some of the rhetoric that I've heard okay so yeah I know that this guy can take said girl from 55 to 52 but 52 seconds doesn't help me at this level so yeah, I think the guy can coach, but I'm not sure the guy can do it at this level. I'm not sure the young lady can do it at this level. So every now and then, you know, somebody's got to take a chance. And the problem is because of the level of some of the programs, the coaches aren't willing to take said chance because they're afraid that if that doesn't work out, it's going to hurt them down the road. So I think those are the biggest issues you deal with. It's a perception issue, obviously. Um, and you know, when you talk about being in the in the same area, you know, obviously me being where I was as a high school coach helped me tremendously. You know, if 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 I'm if the job that came open was in Tallahassee or Ohio, I don't get the chance I got. I got that chance because I was here in Gainesville and because I was visible. And and if I don't get you know, if I'm not that I don't get that chance. Wow. So what I like that you all did is you all had similar underlying answers, but there are different paths to it because everyone's not going to get just one path or, or miss one path. You know, we're all going to get it, um, get the denials and the approvals in different ways. So that was great perspective. Thank you for that. Um, another wordy question. So I'm going to read it a little bit slower again. Um, in terms of minority coaches, both males and females, how do we change the landscape and help them advance? Do we, is it preparation on their part? Is it perception on the part of the hiring coaches? What is it? What do we do? Lucius, I think it's your turn to go first on this one, brother. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> I went once first. Lamar okay. went once first. You're the only one left. What you mean? I mean, if, if you need a sec, I can go first. Go Would ahead. you prefer that? Sure, go ahead. Because this, uh, one, this one's a little bit tricky for me, but go ahead. You know, so the simple answer is yes, meaning it's we got to be better on both ends of that equation. So I think the applicants, I mean, I think I said this maybe a month ago, like, do your damn job. Like not trying to be mean, but the applicants have, you have to be skilled at what you do. You can't just expect to get a job cause you're you or cause you ran fast in college or cause you're black. Cause none of those things are really relevant. If we're just going to be honest, you have to show skill and you have to show um, desire to get better. Um, and then from the, 
from the hiring side, man, I it's okay to not hire somebody you already know. That's all I want to say to all the hiring people out there. Like I understand in today's world, you want to hire people that you can trust. I understand that. I do. Um, but I think a lot of times people are afraid to let the hiring process play out. Meaning this is what I want. I'm going to be very specific and ask for this. And then I'm going to take the applicant applicants that come, I'm going to call through them. I'm going to get to five or three, however many the school lets you bring on campus and I'm going to bring them on campus and I'm going to get right in their face and ask them the real kind of questions that I want, that I will ask them if they were on my staff and I will see who can hold water, whether I know them or not, whether they're black or not, whether they're female or not. See, that's the part that last rant of mine is the part that gets lost in so many of these hiring processes. They're all good with all the steps I just laid out, theoretically, but let's start with this. They have already poisoned the well because they made sure one or two candidates that they work are already comfortable with were in the pool. Sure. Almost always. And if they're not, then it's somebody that's that want that someone that they're comfortable with has suggested. So therefore, by proxy, they are comfortable with them. So they start off with a leg up. And then the process goes by and they're oh they're overwhelmed to some degree by the fact that there's two or three quality people that show up through the process that they weren't planning on ever really really investigating. And then it comes down to the best applicant is a brown female, but their buddy suggested, I don't want to be stereotypical, so, but I'll say a white male. And that's who they were most comfortable with before it started. And when it comes down to the two of them, many times the best candidate is not necessarily picked. Now, I'm not, I'm not claiming this to be a racist thing. I'm claiming this to be a comfort thing. I think very, very often the hiring process is not legitimate because it is staged. It's like the NFL hiring process and the Rooney rule. I don't care how many times you tell me you have to, you have to interview black candidates. If you already know who you're going to hire, it is not a real process. You, uh, you stole my buzzword there. And I appreciate that. Stage. Well, I, you know, sometimes great minds think alike, sir. So I'm going to stick and pass it on to you. If, if, if the question is rooted in how can we improve this dynamic, the first thing we can do is tell the truth, which Lamar just very eloquently did on an on array of different levels. There's a lot of, and I, I've had these conversations with my friends, with my colleagues, the first part of telling the truth for me is you have to start with yourself. I hate the idea and I automatically repel the people who think I'm just supposed to look out for you because you are thing X. I'm just supposed to support you because you're a female. I'm just supposed to support you because you're black. That's a bunch of nonsense. I support people who have earned the position to be supported. Like, 
every minority candidate ain't for the job that they think they're supposed to have, that they think their people are supposed to hook them up for. That's nonsense. And the if you complain when you know white coaches do it, you shouldn't be standing around asking for other people to do it. So we need to tell the truth. And the truth is that a lot of the people that want help, want the hookup, want to be given uh, the conversation of opportunities that they haven't necessarily earned, you need to step up your professionalism first. So someone in a position to help you can want to help you, can co-sign you to the job that you think you should have. There's a lot B-Y-J, of- do your job. Your job. There's a lot of, there's a lot of entitlement culture that exists across the spectrum of race and across the spectrum of gender biases. But from the assistants who are trying to get themselves elevated, be a professional first. No one should have to question your professionalism. If someone has to question your professionalism, I ain't gonna be the one co-signing you for a job. That's insane. The other part of telling the truth is, is exactly what Lamar said, and that was my other buzzword, was a lot of this is already staged. A lot of this is CYA culture. Yeah, we're going to post the job on the internet because, you know, we have to, but it's been decided a month ago before we even went down that path. And a, a lot of that is out of convenience. A lot of that is out of laziness. A lot of it is out of, you know, expediency. And that part of it has to stop. When I was in a position to when I was in a position to hire people to be assistants under me, one thing I always, always did was when the application started coming in, I would make sure that someone else saw them first and sent them back to me with no names on them. I didn't want the names. I wanted to read the resume without a name because the name tells me too many things, right? I just wanted to see the layout of it, the professionalism of it, what they've done, what they haven't done, what kind of credentials they had behind their name. And I would pick 10, 15, and then I would learn the names. And often, yeah, there were people that were alerted to the fact like, hey, I got these jobs coming open, make sure you do your application. But rarely, if ever, did I see their names attached to said application. And there were a few times where when I learned like, I'm like, oh my God, this is trash. Put it in the trash heap. I learned a week later, like, bro, that was yours? Why would you send this? Like, no. So what I think the people that are in a position to hire can do is take the process more serious, not have it so staged, try to put your biases to the side and take, take at least one good look at, at every resume that, that comes across your desk. Take a serious look at it in some kind of way to to block your blinders. And eventually you'll get to a better pool and maybe just maybe you'll end up hiring somebody that you didn't already think you wanted to. There's a lot of really good coaches in this country that don't get the opportunities because of those two issues. Either they have a sense of entitlement that they haven't earned or the process is very much staged ahead of their application. And as if we're in a position to promote these things, how can we do it better? we can promote these types of ideas and we can talk to people and administrators and head coaches about these issues and kind of help them to see things, you know, from an outside, outside the box perspective. I'm going to approach this one as well from a little bit of a different uh, standpoint. Um, I don't disagree with anything, anything either one of you guys said, I think you're spot on, but I, I want to address it from the 
the point of view from the from the person that's trying to get hired. So how do we help them be better? And you guys touched on a couple of things. Professionalism is 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 huge. Um, pr preparedness is huge. Education. Um, there's there's groups out there, or there's talks of groups out there. I know there's a a woman's group that meets a lot. They meet at the convention to discuss issues that they have with the hierarchy, we'll call it. Call it. Well, I think if they want to know how to get within those walls, invite those people into the room and have conversations with them. Because if you're in this room talking about the guys in that room, and that's the room you want to get into, you're never getting in that room unless you talk to somebody in the room. You know, I, I saw a picture about three weeks ago, um, this group of coaches that, you know, years ago got together. I think it's how the whole coaches education thing started. Okay. Every coach in the picture was white. Every one of them. Okay. So as African-Americans, whether we're head coaches, assistant coaches, wanting to be coaches, when do we start getting together as a group and having meaningful conversations about things pertaining to track and field, to being a better coach, to being a better professional that will help position you to be in the position to get jobs, set jobs. Because a lot of the times, you know, it's, it's about who you know. It's about how you present yourself. And we've all heard the thing, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So my thing is, instead of gathering to complain, instead of gathering to mope and grope and gripe, let's start getting together and having meaningful conversations. And, and, and that means people like myself, you know, if, if you invite me to come sit and have a meaningful conversation with you, I will do that, okay? But it needs to be a meaningful conversation. Okay, it needs to be something that's trying to advance you, advance others, advance the sport. And I think for me, that's my frustration is like, we don't have those conversations. You know, like, you know, we'll get together and play spades. You know, we'll get together and play dominoes and have some drinks. You know, we'll get together and moan and groan and gripe. But does, does anybody get together and talk about the professionalism of our sport how to advance yourself in your career other than, Hey, I want to be a head coach someday. You know, like that, 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 those are the things that, that I struggle with. It was just, uh, you actually may not be aware of this. It's, and it's, I'm glad that you took that angle. Um, I'm not going to get the year correct, but years ago, it's been a while um, at the convention, there was a small group, of minority coaches that started having secret meetings for that exact reason. And it would be wrong of me not to name the people who originally started those conversations. It was um, Alicia Brewer, who's at Kansas, myself, Carj Lyles, and Brandon Copper. We were the original people who started literally like it was, we would pick one of the days where there was something totally lame going on at the convention and we would basically just overtake her. Lame at the convention? Really? Oh, there, there's some lame, <laughs> there's some lame moments now. And, and we would, and we would straight up overtake a room and have these exact conversations. And, and in the beginning, I, I think it was really, really cool. We called it the, the minority coaches summit or whatever it was. And the, I remember the first year, a lot of these conversations were going on. 
And the idea was, okay, this was dope. There was maybe 20, 30 people in the room. And the next year it doubled in size and it became a thing. And where I got frustrated at it was, I was like, after a few years, I'm like, guys, okay, we do this every single year, but what's the follow through? Like, it's cool that we gonna do this, you know, Wednesday afternoon shit, like in the, in the basement, of, you know, in, in one of the, the super small rooms, like that's cool. But where's the follow through? Who's gonna get this put on the platform of the convention? Where are we, what's the next step with this? We can get in the room and we can talk about these things. We talk about all that stuff. Professionalism, different stories about how hiring practices work. Um, horror stories about what to and not to do. Like we did all that stuff, networking, we did it all. We even got into some training ideas at, at one point, but there was never any real legitimate follow through. And that's something that for, I, I don't know, man, like we, we just struggle to do that kind of thing. Like everybody could get in the room and run their mouth. But at the end of the day, when it comes time to put the next step forward, we always somehow fall short. And we've had, you know, you know, major names in the sport come through those rooms. Carol Smith Gilbert came through and talked to, talked to the crew one year. It was great. Like Curtis Fry's been in that room. And so there just wasn't a lot of follow through. So those things have happened. And there are people out there trying to put stuff like that together. We definitely need more follow through. And, and just like anything else, that is political and needs a fix, you need a plan of action. You need to put some real concrete, okay, we are going to do X, Y, and Z to push this agenda that we want paid more attention to forward. It's easy to talk about it on social media. It's easy to complain about it on one day in a room. And yes, we're going to keep playing spades because me and Lamar is undefeated for six years straight. But <laughs> those kind of conversations are happening um, at a smaller scale than they should be happening. And we need to get creative and find a way to push that to the next step. Yeah, I, I think that, that the follow through piece is absolutely amazing. That, that's, that's what's got to happen. I just feel like so often, like, look, I, I'll use me as a perfect example, right? Lucius has known me since I was an athlete and watched me go from athlete to newbie coach to young coach to head coach making good and bad decisions to to you know to to no longer head coach to assistant coach at a small school to assistant coach at a big school assistant coach at a bigger school right so he's seen like the whole maturation into whatever i am good bad or indifferent i don't really care whatever it is right he's seen it all and i think he would, I say that because I, I think he would be the first person to tell anybody who would listen. The biggest advancements and changes in me as a mentee and I guess little brother, whatever, was conversation and being tasked to do certain things to be better and then having to have accountability to my accountability partner like okay like one time i was being one of those people pity party right like why can't i do this or that and you know what he said like hurt hurt all my feelings he's like well how many people have you how many how many times have you coached a national champion how many all americans have you coached and i, I was like 
Because in my mind, I did what a lot of these young coaches do. I'm like, but I know you. Like, I talk to you all the time. Like, you keep telling me I'm good. Like, you know, here's the reality. Having your correct mentor cheerleader is important. But you have to have somebody who holds you accountable to be better. Like, the one thing that is for sure is he watched me become a better coach year after year, place after place, right? Like, regardless of what I was dealing with, why I had to go from this place to that place, or why I chose to go from this place to that place, that's not relevant. Because when I got to the new place, I only had one job, to produce better than I had before in my career. So the onus was always on me. And I think as we're talking to these folks who are watching the show who want answers from us, like we would be remiss if we didn't tell them like, look, you gotta have somebody that is going to hold you, is gonna demand of you to be better and hold you accountable to do so. See, because if you've gotten better, if you have a resume that says, if you don't hire me, you're an idiot, you'll get hired. But if you, if your resume says, hey, I know so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, like ignore the first 75% of my resume, but the three names at the bottom are dope. <laughs> then you're in the Wish and the Hope Foundation. Like your resume has to be disgusting for the job that you want. And if it's not, you got nobody to blame but yourself. I'm, look, I know it's not easy, but guess what? If it was easy, everybody would be in Lucius's chair. It ain't. I welcome the company, by the way. Look, it ain't, right? If you want to be, you know, I think most people think relatively highly of the people on this panel, right? Everybody on this panel has bootstrapped. See, that's the part that nobody wants to hear. <clears throat> My first job, Lucius knows this because I called them and we laughed about it. My first job was at Wake Forest, given to me by a white distance coach, mind you, and I had to sign a contract, which I still have somewhere in this house, for zero dollars and zero cents because they gave me basketball tickets, which had value. So I actually had to sign a contract for that. My second year in which I coached four ACC champions, $1,000 prorated for the 10 months of the season. So in two years, I have coached for $10,000 total. This isn't about me, right? This is what I'm saying is, I think sometimes people see me as like, well, you won a medal and you were in a power five school and like, okay, we already, we, we've, we've gone like rigmarole, like all about the fact that Lucius was a highly decorated high school coach that was literally plucked from the high school ranks and given, look, a short leash isn't, isn't you can't describe that as short. Cause I'm going to tell you if, if Lucius was not immediately successful at the University of Florida, they would have did, look, Jeremy loves him and all that. I get it. He still would have said, eh, this experiment hasn't worked. We're moving on. Let, 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 me, let me say something, um, address something that Clyde said. Um, he talked about the people that want to go on social media and talk and complain and all that stuff. And, you know, I... I I call alcohol liquid courage. You know, alcohol gives people the courage to say and do things they would not do when they're sober. And sitting behind a keyboard is cyber courage. It does the same thing. And so you having the courage to sit down and rant 
on the keyboard means nothing to anyone. You know, you, you have to take a course of action. And I can tell you from experience, contrary to popular belief that I was born with some silver spoon in my mouth and that everything was given to me, I have been busting my butt from day one. And as Lamar likes to say, do your damn job. And I can promise you, if you do your job and do it well, you will eventually get to the place that you would like to be. Complaining about it, putting in social media, doesn't help you. You know, I had a, a very interesting conversation with my man Clyde sitting in my man cave years ago. And in a very, very, very not so nice situation for him. And I remember telling him, you just get back to work and you bust your ass and you'll get back to where you want to be. And there were times he was like, boss, I, I don't know, you know? And all of a sudden, we're back, we're back where we close to where we want to be again. And it just takes time. So no matter what your circumstances are, stay off the internet, stop the complaining, get to, get to work, do your job. I hope everybody was listening. Clyde, do you want to you, you, you you round in on that, Clyde? No, it's, it's true. I mean, there were the, the, one, the one thing, you know, we, we've all had our frustrations in this business. And when, thing, when, some, when things are personal to you, uh, often you think that your problems are bigger than other people's problems. And, that, and that's how a lot of people end up going off on their rants and doing all that stuff. I'm not going to sit here and act like when I was mad at the world over situations that had absolutely nothing to do with me that I wasn't ranting because I definitely did. But you ain't catch me ranting in the public. I rant to my people. I rant behind the closed doors. I rant, you know, on the phone, in the, in the man cave, in the whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to jump on, you know, uh, Twitter and, <laughs> and start going off about how, you know, I was so wronged or situation X was so against, like, I could have done that. But at the, at the end of the day, I had to think about the career that I ultimately wanted and what I got into this business for. I got in this business to advance the lives of young people and help them get an education. And when I was really, really upset, when I was really bothered by the situations that I was having to encounter, the only thing that really kept me sane is the next opportunity to do that. And the truth of the matter is, it don't matter if you're working at the University of Florida under Mouse Holloway, or if you're working at the smallest of D3 programs, you know, in the middle of who the hell knows America. At the end of the day, if you are in this business to advance the lives of young people and serve them, you can do that job anywhere. And if you do that job well, people will take notice. And eventually you will go wherever it is you're supposed to be. You know, I'm back home working exactly where I grew up at a place I've always wanted to grow up. And if I would have spent three, four, five years doing a good job as I did, but trying to set the earth on fire because I was salty, I wouldn't be here. So you got to do the work. And like I said, you got to be a professional. And the one thing I know for certain is 
nobody in this business just is going to bend over to help you because you are whatever, because you are a woman, because you are black, hell, because they're related to you. Ain't none of that going to happen. You need to earn the entitlement that you think you deserve. And if you do, you'll land somewhere that you can get the work done at the level that you want to get it done. Opportunities will come. Hell, hundreds of people get fired every May and June. Every year. It's always going to be a new opportunity. So do you think? And so often these people don't realize it. Like, look, it, it's all in your own hands. Look, I'm going to embarrass her a little bit, but look, Coaches Collab has 3,500 coaches that are all in line and, and, and made into a, what did you call it today? A, a, a living library. Human library. Uh, right? Okay, but it was invent it was created, invented, and is run by someone with two and a half years of division one coaching experience who cut her teeth at high school, who used to be a high school coach, and doesn't have a sexy job. So at the end of the day, like, and it was created from like a list of sixty two people and grown from there, right? Like I think what I, I guess what I'm trying to say to all these people who listen to us is like it's important to embrace the job you currently have and do it to the very best of your ability while you're trying to find a new job. You can't just ignore the job you're in and assume that you should be at this other job because somebody's going to ask you, well, what, what kind of job are you doing at the job you're at? <laughs> I, I will say this and then, and then I, you know, I guess we can move on, but, Use your current position to audition for the one that you want. Yes. Because if you can't do that, the job you have well, I, I, had a, I had a guy tell me once who had been let go, let's say, from more than two assistant coaches positions. I think it's time for me to be a head coach now. <laughs> and that's not the way it works. On, on, to, to that point, when, when I took the, the Alabama state position, I had a few people say, why would you go there? You're never going to be at nationals again. Same I, thing I heard when I went to Eastern Michigan. And I said, have you, I literally, have you lost your mind? I'm going to be at nationals immediately. It took me, I missed it one season mm -hmm. and I never missed it again. Yep. Like I'm, I'm going to do what I do. Like, I don't care. Like this is, this is what we do. And the people that think that way, oh, you can't do from this place, are the ones that are always in the corner hollering. Like, I'm uh, glad you, the three of you resonated on that last point because that it wasn't what I heard until then. And I was going to say, each of you have told me that very point is you, you know, we hear it as the water the grass that you stand in, don't water it, the grass isn't greener on the other side, whatever. Um, but it, it, definitely has come out of all three of your mouths at one point in regard to me saying, how do I make this work? You know, or like, what are the steps? And, you know, a few years ago, that was conversation with a few, like two of you. And then uh, Lucius, we had that conversation last year. Like, how do, how do I make myself better? How do I make this process not easier, but more fluid? So it's not like I'm just hitting a wall. And exactly that is you have to excel. You have to not suck at your job. Well, well to, 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 to the point that, and I think the people that really pay attention understand like how phenomenal this is, that 
the place that you work at may not be conducive to getting the types of athletes that are going to put your X's and O's ability on the national stage. Mm -hmm. Hell, you thought outside the box and put yourself on the national stage in a whole nother way that nobody else has even thought to be doing. So that's the other thing, like y'all need get creative. And I don't mean get a cute hashtag, like do something substantial, do something substantial, you know, that you can stand on your own work and be like, you know, actually I invented this. I did this thing. I created this. Do something on your own that means something to people that is useful in our business. And I guarantee you, there are way more people that know Shu because of Coaches Collab than any quote unquote coaching job that she could or could not get done at a super small school. Like that was genius. That is how you step out and create more opportunities. And if someone's paying attention, then <laughs> hire <you> already. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's the type of brain I want working under me. Like, <laughs> oh, say it again loud for the people in the back, sir. Hey, listen. <laughs> Anyways, okay, stop. Not personal. Anyhow, um, what what I love about the questions and the answers that we've had produced out to out of the last forty five minutes is um, it shows it shows the process that you all have endured to get to where you are and and to be the people that you want to be and strive to be every day. And so now I want to transition to our heartbeat props to give the actual people who help us get there rather than, in addition to, not rather than, I'm sorry, in addition to the ways we've got there and, and you know, the streets and the curbs that we've had to sit down to get there. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, light up the people in our heartbeat props tonight. I'll go first. <laughs> I'll break the ice. If you want me, I'll go first if you want me to. I don't no, mind. it's okay. This one, this, I struggle every week uh, because I do have a shorter coaching career than all of you. And so. Um, Are you calling us old? I, no. Sounds like it. Veterans. Yeah. Veterans. Veterans. Okay. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like me and two about the same age. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so, so basically you just call Lamar and I old. Okay. Yeah. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Yeah, I like the way he just slipped that one in there, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, like, they're old, I'm not. Right. Right. <laughs> On one side of the screen, we're okay. <laughs> we're right. gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some people know, some people don't, and this is not a uh, a put out there for a pity party by any means. Um, but we are going just over ten years ago now. Um, I had a bout with cancer. About with cancer. And so I've definitely got to give my heartbeat props out to the medical staff that allowed me to be here today and functioning as I am. Uh, the cancer that I did have was not terminal, so it wasn't going to be something where it was either live or not live. Um, it would, if had I not survived it, it would have been because of dehydration, malnourishment, things of that nature. So not any prettier, but um, it wouldn't have been the cancer itself. Um, but to the staff at Oakland Kaiser, the new cancer center at the time, now it's 10 years old, um, and to the staff at Martinez Hydration Department, I owe you everything. Because I'd say like three weeks into treatment, so I had X amount of rounds of radi radiation. Uh, at that point, I was on my second round of chemo and 
I had stopped eating and not voluntarily. I wasn't able to eat because of sores and whatnot down my throat. Um, the nurses literally forced me to take the Dilaudid and the another drug intravenous because I was, I refused to. I'm stubborn. Duh. Everybody knows that. And I, I could tough it out. Sure. I mean, who needs to eat or drink? You know, that'll be all right. Um, and so they literally, in, in my weary state, because I was already on liquid Vicodin, uh, they put it in my IV and I passed out and then they gave me nutrients. Um, so, you know, without them beating around me and getting me to actually take my meds as I needed or the meds that I needed at the time, uh, I don't think there would be a question if I would be here, but there would definitely be a question of what other effects I'd be living with. So um, to the medical staff at Oakland Kaiser and to the hydration staff at Martinez Kaiser, I appreciate you and you have all of my heartbeat props, literally. So thank you. Okay, um, I'm gonna give my heartbeat props to a guy that I met back in like 1982. So yeah, I am old. <laughs> I <was> uh, <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I've, when I mentioned my, my girl, Terry Davis, uh, a few shows ago, and Terry ties into this story as well. Um, after my first summer with Terry, she was working at Gainesville High School, and she uh, came to me and said they needed a hurdle coach. And so I said, okay. So I come to practice that day. I walk into practice, and she comes this gentleman comes over he says well what's your name man i said my name is mike holloway he's terry says no he's mouse he says hurdlers this is coach mouse and he walked off I said do your job um he took me under his wing he taught me paperwork he taught me you know organization um he taught me to plan ahead and not just be ready for the next day but the next week um and you know probably to show how close we became even when i became a head coach at the rival school across town at buell's high school um we would have talks all the time about my development not just as a coach but as a person and um probably the the most when i really knew how close we were um i uh, i was at the university of florida he was now coaching basketball at a small school um, a little south of Gainesville. And he was in a horrific accident and almost lost his life. I got a call from a guy, the guy that pulled him out of the van and said that Coach Chisholm told me that he, he, that he had to let you know that he was going to be okay. Um, this is a guy who's fighting for his life, who thought enough that he wanted me not to worry that he was gonna be okay. And that, you know, just, it still to this day overwhelms me. So my heartbeat props go to one Mr. Marion Chisholm. I uh, love you, man. Uh, appreciate you, everything you did for me. And even even those couple of those times you called me in and, and, and chewed me out pretty good and told me I was just a young buck, didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> um, I got the message, I, I figured it out. So my heartbeat props this week are to Marion Chisholm. Okay. Um... I don't know, I'm going an odd route tonight. Um, my, uh, my heartbeat props go to someone who I do know does watch the show. As a matter of fact, 
he not only watches the show, he has all of the kids that he coaches watch the show. Uh, I think he sends them the link and they like watch it all together. Um, and it's, in, it's very interesting to me that, that we've come this far with, you know, him being such a highly respected high school coach in the state of California, because I will never forget the phone call I got. It was like, Hey, Sands. Uh, so we, we pledged together uh, in the spring of 1991. And he calls me and he's like, Hey, Sands, I, I think I'm going to start coaching track at my high school. I was like, I'm sorry, what? It's like, you don't just, that's like saying, I, I think I'm going to coach the Bears. Like, what do you mean you're going to just start coaching track? Like, bruh, you ran high school track like a decade ago. That is it. He's like, yeah, I know. Like, we could do this. He's like, plus, I got you. How hard could it be? I was like, bruh, this is not going to be like, like, you're just people's kids' lives, right? And that's the initial conversation we had. So jump cut to, God, I don't know, what, where are we at? Like 15 years later? Like, dude is one of the more highly respected coaches in the state of California and probably one of the most highly respected north of the grapevine. And um, got level one, guys level two. He was contemplating level three. I was like, well, go ahead, big fella. He's got several, I think, either two or three level twos. Um, and it's funny because I think all three of you are now, like, either friends or Facebook friends with him in the coaching realm. And I just think that that's awesome. Um, so my, my heartbeat props go to my kid's godfather, uh, one Mr. Honorable uh, Jamal Coach Cooks. Um, you know, he went to Skyline High School and turned Skyline into an absolute powerhouse, which makes no sense um, at all. Uh, and then left Skyline and went to O'Dowd and turned O'Dowd into uh, a resurgent powerhouse, which almost makes less sense after Skyline, um, if we're going to be honest. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody who has always embraced the get them early, teach them the right things, and coach your club kids so that they'll pick your high school, and then you can coach them in high school and you'll be really good. But, like, I don't know high school coaches that, it, that invest in six- and seven-year-olds but him. But that is absolutely what happened. And, like, one of his youngest prodigies is now one of the best quarter milers at Texas A&M. And I've known that girl since she was seven because she was in a little ugly green uniform, you know, part of CA track club, getting coached up, right? So at the end of the day, uh, I just want to send my uh, heartfelt uh, props and, and shout-out to one Mr. Coach Cooks. Oakland, California. Love it. Oakland, California, Skyline's finest. Uh, as I, I, I said, it's been a, an interesting week. And uh, I don't know. For me, as I've been working from the house and watching the world around us all, my, my heartbeat props uh, are not necessarily to uh, an individual, but to a collection of individuals. And I'm going to state it this way. My heartbeat props this week are to Black America and our allies and those who are working with us, for us, trying to make sense out of this insane reality that we are all living through right now. And, you know, the people in Kenosha, Wisconsin, 
people in Minneapolis, but you can name whatever city. The reality is all the same. Oakland, Atlanta, everywhere. It's insane what's going on right now. And as I sit back and watch all of this unfold, I, I can't help but be extremely pissed off, extremely sad, extremely tired. And in one breath, I'm, I'm almost, I'm all, I almost have hope because there's so many more people paying attention right now than it feels like ever before. And at the same time, I'm really, really fearful that all of this energy rightfully directed at the tragedies that are going on with the police and all these other things ultimately isn't going to translate into people getting out to vote. And if it doesn't, then all of this that's going on right now is ultimately going to be for nothing. There is no change coming if we do not transform this energy into doing all that we can to change the leadership of this country. And if that's a political statement that bothers somebody, I don't really give a damn. Because last week, I watched days upon days upon days of people on my television who were running for office. And I didn't necessarily agree with every message that they had out there. But that vision of America being put forth by people who are trying to work to help be allies to fix these systemic problems versus what I'm watching this week, I can't barely get through it. And so to the families of that young man who survived that horrific shooting and all the people out in Kenosha that are in the street be in the street, express yourself personally. I hope you do it in a manner that gets you back home to your families. But all that energy, Wisconsin is one of these states that really, really, really is gonna change the course of all of this in a short order. So all I'm saying is no matter what your viewpoint on all of this stuff is, Black America needs allies right now and the most powerful thing we can do, the most powerful thing we can do is vote. Nationally, locally, vote. I don't care if you do it by mail. I don't care if you do it, you know, standing in the street. But if we got all this energy to scream at the top of our lungs for these tragedies, we need to put that same energy into organizing and coming up with strategy to change the systemic problems that we don't want to see happening anymore. I respect the hell out of the NBA for taking a stance and shutting things down for however long they're going to do. We have allies in professional world of sports. We have allies in political offices. We have allies on the street. We have allies in our profession. And if you're not going to be an ally to Black America right now, you step away from me because this is just this is just a moment that's it's too important and there's too much going on and there's too much pain in the streets. So my heartbeat props right now, what's on my brain every hour of every day is all of my people, you know. So for me, it's Black America for tonight. Amen. So follow through. That's what I heard all night tonight. It's follow through. Follow up, follow through, don't suck.
That's right. All you got to do. I mean, it's not hard, right? It's three things a day. So um, as always, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time, your efforts, your contributions, and your brain power. Uh, thanks for listening to the long questions this evening. <laughs> I apologize for being so long. Um, but other than that, um, as always, everyone, we will see you next week. Gentlemen, we'll see you right back here on this black screen with the four tiles. Thank you so much. When the lights come on, the road just get to running. When the mics come on, the opponents smash the plumbing. But you like it warm, hot, and knife the butter. Truth pin them hard, knock them off, that rebuttal. Tsunami, tidal wave to your puddle. Tough love, punch you in the arms, little brothers. Athletics double, I'll see if there's no others. Track the field's pace and we'll peel to go further. Hey, Wiley, Coyote, it's Roadrunners. Feels like you know us, you've been with us the whole summer. If not for this quarantine, these four corners wouldn't be here, but we're here, so start learning. You gotta earn your stripes, gotta get your scars. Show you how to fight, but show us who you are. You lack experience, but still you wanna talk. And who is that you're talking to? Your circle's kinda small. Heads prevail when the backbone's strong. Gotta keep it coming, no, won't last long. Pass or fail, then sell the sad song. And if you don't check yourself, then that's wrong. Just trying to give you the real that you asked for. So why you keep cutting us off to ask more? We put it in slow mode, but you fast forward. Athletics, devil, I'll see the task force. Ooh, wasn't that fun? Man, that's it, boys and girls. That's a wrap. What a great, great, great time I just had right there. I hope you did as well. If you like what you heard, tell someone else. Best thing you can do for me right now is if you received value, go share this on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Smoke Signals, Morse Code, whatever you're using for your social media text message, old school. Let's do it, man. Really, really appreciate that. If you want to know in advance what the next greatest guest we're going to have, simply subscribe right now and whatever you're listening to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hit that subscribe button and you will be in the know for anybody else. That's it. I'm out of here. Look forward to next time bringing you another great connection with another great track and field coach. Bye-bye.